The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Narratives of Purpose. My name is Claire Morigande. I am your host on this show. And my goal is to amplify social impact by bringing you inspiring individual stories of ordinary people who are making extraordinary social impact within their communities or around the world. So if you're looking for a program that showcases unique stories of change makers, stories of people who are contributing to make a difference in society, and at the same time, you want to get inspired to take action, then this podcast is definitely for you. This week is the third episode of our inclusion series, and my guest today is simply phenomenal. His name is Thibaut Trancard. He is based in Geneva. Thibaut lost his sight as a teenager, yet he refused to be treated differently. Not only did he follow a normal academic path, he even took up Paralympic alpine skiing and competed on an international circuit with the Swiss Paralympic ski team. Thibault is also a motivational speaker. He founded Noblink, where he offers services such as conferences and workshops, with the aim to raise awareness and take off the negative perception of visual impairment. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on your preferred podcast listening app. But right now, have a listen to Thibault's amazing journey and how he inspires people to dream and make their dreams come true. Thibault, a warm welcome to you, and it's great to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm good, and thank you for having me on the show. Great. I mean, the pleasure is mine, obviously, and um, I have to say that I'm really thrilled to have you today, and thank you so much for accepting to join me. I'd like to begin with explaining to the to our listeners how I got connected with you. So recently, I heard you on the radio show, and you were sharing your journey. So I was absolutely captivated by your story. And it just so happens that the other guest on that show is someone that I know. So our mutual friend kind of connected us after, after this, uh, this show. And the reason why I was captivated by your story is that because you basically lost your sight as an early teenager. And there were two things that came across during that discussion on that show that were really powerful to me. And the first one is that you actually chose to become a professional skiing athlete after your studies and you trained for the 2018 Paralympic Games. And the second thing is that you created a platform. Uh, it's basically a website which is called No Blink. What you do with this platform is that you basically share your experience and your objective is to raise awareness and remove the, the whole negative perception around visual impairment. So I've said already a lot about you, but I would like to give you the stage to introduce yourself to our listeners and share a bit of your background. So please go ahead. I was born and raised uh, in Geneva. I live most of my life um, here. And uh, as you said, so just a bit of background on how I became blind. But I was the first I left one when I was two because of a cancer and that same cancer went into my right eye when I was five. 
at that point, just like the beginning of a long, long fight with the cancer because it lasted for nine years. But despite everything, I mean, we went through all the possible treatments in Lausanne, actually, um, to try to save the eye. And at the end, um, I could still see pretty well, actually, from, from that single eye. And uh, that was until I turned 13, when I became really visually impaired because of a side effect of the treatment. But uh, the eyesight dropped from 98 to 10, 15 percent in about a week. And it never really got back up. And um, that kind of marked the beginning of the end in terms of uh, my life. And uh, that's when I went into the international school, got my international um, baccalaureate, and went to study abroad at Montreal. And uh, yeah, as you said, when I got back from university in 2015, I, um, that's when I decided to not work in the company, uh, but actually to kind of get away of work from all that and really dive into offering skin competitions. Never been a sports person at all, not even an athlete. So it was really quite, um, it came out of, um, out of the blue a bit, was a joke of a friend at first. And I did that for four and a half years, so um, just before COVID. So for me, in what you just explained, there are kind of like three turning points where as a young teenager, you were, you know, you lost your sight. And then you later on, after starting your studies, you went abroad. So you moved from Switzerland to, to Canada. And then you came back and chose to not start a corporate life, which was what you had trained for. But then you decided to pursue this career as an athlete. How did you go through these different moments? The big challenge here is that I became blind in January 2006. And I was right in the middle of my ninth year at uh, the industry's public system. And, um, and the idea was that um, I had to learn how to live again as a blind person. In September 2006, I'll be back at school. So I had kind of eight months to get used to the idea to then start at the international school. So that was, I think, the big challenge. But it got even bigger when, um, when I started at the international school because then I had to put all that into school environments. And the fact that I couldn't speak English was, uh, was a hell of a challenge as well. And everything was in English there. So it was uh, really the idea to learn English that I could get away from Switzerland in, the, in places that are a lot more adaptive for blind people. And, and, uh, and why Canada? just because I went uh, twice in the summer camp over there and just loved it so much. And yes, it was a big turning point to leave because in the end, uh, I went to Montreal, a city that I didn't know at all. And uh, was a, the closest family was an ocean away from, from me. But as well as it may sound, it was a lot easier to move over there in a city that I didn't know because the university was a lot more adapted than staying in Geneva or and, uh, and then, yeah, once I was back, well, that ski project, there's an entire story behind it. Uh, but in, uh, to summarize it, basically, when I became blind, the only thing that I loved in terms of sport was skiing. But I wasn't a good one. Like, uh, I would ski two hours on Saturdays and Sundays. Just, that was the sport of the week. And when I became blind, that was one of the first things to, 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 to relearn, basically, how to ski in a tandem with a guide. And at first, my... That was my guide, and uh, a year after, it was a friend from Chamonix, where I ski, who took the who took the bid and uh, became my guide. We clicked right away. I was 15 at the time; he was about 11. And uh, every time we had a good run, we just say, "Okay, let's do the Paralympic." But it was a joke, and uh, at the time, the joke became an idea. And um, 
for some reason that I can't explain still to this day is that um, this Christmas in my last year at university, I was talking with uh, one of my current friends and she asked me, what do you want to do um, after university? And I had no idea what to say. And I don't know why I said that. That joke popped up in, in my head, just like, hey, you know what, I'm going to go for the Paralympics in 2018. Obviously, I have no idea what I was talking about. She put it on Facebook, and so the, the entire thing became uh, became like super real. And everybody was supporting me, just say, yeah, go for it, go for it. And I actually started to have sponsors before even finishing my bachelor's degree. So I got back in Montreal for my last semester, and that was the plan to pretty much uh, do the graduation in May, enjoy life till um, mid-June, and go back to Geneva and start training. So you basically had this, well, this like silly idea of competing in the Paralympics or at least training to, to be able to, to compete in the Paralympic Games. And even before you started doing that, you already had like a full support system and sponsors. Is that correct? I, I had some, well, the sponsor was, the, was actually the gym where I trained in Sport Quest. It's, they were super done with the projects. And so they said, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll support you and we'll physically train you. Because um, I had no, I had, like, when I went back from Montreal, I was a party residue. I mean, it was more cigarettes and alcohol in my blood, nothing of an athlete, nothing of a sports person at all. So it was uh, quite a shift because from, I remember the first test we did, cardio test was in October, October 10th, 2015. I remember the date because uh, in nine minutes we switched from being standing, like, Standing up, being like uh, kind of um, well, arrogant, uh, a bit, uh, yeah, a bit pretentious. And the nine minutes later, we're just throwing up all over the place. Uh, I mean, my guide and I. So, <laughs> yeah, it was um, kind of a wake up call. And uh, yeah, as you said, it was mainly training. But again, at this time, we had no idea. I, I had no idea what I was talking about. At the end, we didn't get selected for 2018, of course, uh, with my guide. But I was so in the game that I just, uh, we talked and we said, well, let's, let's push it for 2022. So we went still for two more years um, within the circuit, ended up in Europe at the level when I took the decision to start the project. So in the end, we, we didn't reach the Paralympic, but I'm, it was just the best experience that I could hope for uh, before starting, like, yeah, before switching to a more corporate um, career. And uh, it just brought me so much personally and professionally that it was just, yeah, it's just pure gold, basically. And I also recall that, you know, during that radio show that I was listening to, you also said that this whole um, experience was transformational because it developed you in some aspects you even ignored. Can you explain a bit on what that meant for you? Well, first, it's just in terms of uh, just physical uh, physical shape. I mean, I... I had no, I had no shape at all, and uh, just going to to that gym and having the discipline really, because it was uh, it was a full time job, and that's what I didn't realize. And it's a sport, so you have to find solutions when there's friends. That's something I really struggled with at first, and it took me a lot of time to to get better at. And still, I was nowhere near what an athlete should do. It was a really good introduction to all of that. In fact, when I, I'm in character, I mean, this is exactly the same situation I'm facing, just the context is different, but the, the way you, you approach a problem is exactly the same. Uh, and, and I think, like, whether it's my um, physical trainer at Sport Quest or my guide, Manu, Manu Poli, who she's the one who, I mean, I would have never gone that far without her. That's a fact. And she pushed me. 
and she she challenged me a lot and she she's also one of the person that really shaped me as well because she she forced she, she forced me to take decisions that i'm not really that kind of confident guy who takes decisions and just go in super hardcore situation i can do it but on an everyday basis it's not really my uh, my strength and um, she pushed me to do so, so that was really really helpful if you had started something else which is not that's you know that that skiing and that objective to be part of the paralympic games where from my understanding is like you just went into something you had no idea about if it was something else where you were much more comfortable or you know you knew more do you think that your like resilience level would have changed i think the sports uh, the, the sport project really helped me to build that resilience into more of a work environment but it, it didn't change much i mean i was uh, I, i knew people didn't believe in that and i mean I couldn't blame them. I was 23, never did sport at all, no background, so I'm just coming and say out of the blue that I want to do the Paralympics. So, and uh, I didn't care because I know why I was here and I have the support that I have from my surroundings. And in my mind, it was if I stop this project, it's whether because I reached my objective or because I decided to stop and not because people told me to stop. Now, coming to, I mentioned um, in the beginning that you have this platform called No Blink. So tell me a bit about how that started and was it like preparing a transition from, from the end of sports to entering the corporate world? Tell me about that. I'm still in the skiing project when I first mentioned No Blink. And why No Blink? It was just like we were having a, a drink with friends and we're looking for um, a nice name. If, I, if one day I would, wanted to be like a professional speaker, I was just like, how would I call my structure? And we just bounced around till the no blink came and uh, actually it was quite, quite nice because in fact, it, I got two prosthetic eyes, so I can't blink anymore. That was the idea behind it. So you don't blink when you're, when you're super scared. It was kind of appropriate sense. Why did I want to, to build it? Actually, it's funny because I hated presenting if I went to university. I, if I could you know, be the guy at the back, just hiding behind everybody else and just um, giving the quick intro for presentation, I'd be super happy. But at university, they already taught us how to, how to present. Most of our group projects were presentations. So I kind of um, got used to it and started enjoying it more and more. And when I went back, I gave a couple of speeches at the couple of conferences at the International School in Geneva. And at this point, just, yeah, just felt like this is something that I could really... Yeah, I would really enjoy actually being a professional speaker. And that's pretty much how Noblink, the idea of Noblink uh, became alive. And um, the idea is, as you said, there was the idea of uh, raising awareness about being blind, that it's not as bad as what we think. But there's also the idea of allowing yourself to dream. That's really the idea behind Noblink. There's um, dream crazy, motivate people to, to do so and to just follow their dreams. You're basically doing public speaking. What type of audience have you had up until now? Are you doing this, for instance, like for corporate or for, for specific events? Can you tell me about that? I didn't really target any specific audience uh, for Nobling really, uh, If I'm PNG today, it's because I met, some, uh, I, I met someone through those speeches at the international school that led me into, into PNG. So I got the opportunity to give speeches for PNG, uh, so more corporate speeches. That was more motivational, whereas at the international school, it was more like a conference, um, about an hour talk about, you know, the disability, being blind. And 
I did some workshops as well for the Montessori school. You know, you you put them in pair based on what I did for skiing. You put the, the, the kids in pairs. Um, got one one is blind, the other one is the guide, and you just put in a little obstacle course. And uh, and it's actually it's fascinating to to hear them going through that because they're just so adaptive kids. <laughs> Um, I never had the opportunity to do that with adults. I really, really would like to try to see the difference. I, I recently actually went through an exercise like that. So I'm at the end of my um, MBA program that I'm doing here in, in Zurich. And one of our lecturers, he has really quite an, an um, unconventional way of, of teaching, I would say, which I really loved. And one of the exercises that we had was to be in pairs And just like you said, have one person guide you, right? You have your eyes folded and we were supposed to walk for, you know, a few minutes and the person was supposed to guide us. And that was quite an experience. And that's how you see that you rely a lot on the rest of your senses, but you also have to trust the person who is guiding you. I mean, I've heard people who've done that who share their experiences. Some didn't like it at all. There's just panics. And that because exactly the fact that they couldn't, They had to trust others, totally trust others, which was uh, not so an easy thing. And that's why I'm super happy to have became blind when I was 14 and not past 20. Because uh, I know this is something when you're a teenager, you adapt a lot easier than if you're above 20. So part of the workshops you just mentioned and the talks you had are for younger people. So it's quite educational. How has that been received by, by both the, you know, the teenagers or the children and perhaps also the adults around that? When I did the presentation to, to, to kids, I mean, they were between six and eight years old. They ask questions like they don't even think if it's a, a good question or not. And that's great because they ask the questions. Whereas if you present to teenagers or you're older and adults are the least comfortable asking questions about disability. So you, you said that you're now, you know, working in the corporate environment and you're with Procter Gamble. What is your role there? What are you doing exactly? So I'm I'm a brand manager over there. So basically, it's uh, marketing, and uh, I'm in hair care. So I got projects really that oriented uh, shampoo and conditioners. I also got um, work on a project which is how to make our brands more accessible for people with disabilities, um, and that's uh, I really love it. Yeah, that leads me actually to to the next question I had in terms of supporting inclusion of of people with disability within the workplace. If I recall properly, the first time when we discussed, you, you had mentioned that you founded actually a group that is working in this direction. So tell me about that and what do you do exactly? So uh, the, the, the association is called Trust to Achieve. Our mission is really to improve the, the integration of uh, visually impaired people within the, the professional world. And so I, I'm not the founder. I uh, actually, it's a really good friend who founded it. Uh, it's actually the president, uh, the president. And uh, the idea is that on one hand, we coach companies um, on how to, you know, how to integrate a visually impaired person, whether it's visually impaired or blind. So what are the different tools? And uh, there's a lot of, of uh, questions about, you know, how do you, how do you interact with someone? How do you do, you know, what, what's something to do? What's something not to do? So those, this, these are the questions that companies have a lot when it comes to, to these topics. Basically, the entire message is really focused on the fact that, yes, you're blind, but in the end, you have skills. 
you have personality and it's how those skills and personality fit with the company rather than how your physical appearance, how your, um, whether you got your five senses or not with the company that it's really to get around that, uh, that barrier and uh, to show people that yes, they can, they can work and they can work just as good as anybody else. And so, so that's the uh, company aspect. But then we got the also the visually uh, impaired coaching. So, and uh, that's where the coaching we, we provide the kind of a mentoring uh, aspect. But then we got more specific coaching towards how do you prepare yourself for a job interview? How do you yeah prepare your CV? So it's that's one of the coaching aspects. And the other is to put in contact well the state organizations, uh, companies, and the VIPs, the visually impaired people. That we create, yeah, we use the existing ecosystem and um, we try to, yeah, drive a change, a mentality change, really, at the end. And in terms of, of needs, you're now working sort of from within, from with state organization and companies, and you're also coaching um, the people or mentoring them. To, to be more confident. Do you see any other needs or any other gaps? I'm, I'm thinking especially in terms of education, because what you clearly said before is that, you know, the younger the, the people are, the, the easier you can kind of, you know, integrate this whole aspect. So have you observed specific needs or gaps where you think, you know, people can do something? The big problem in Switzerland is that you got those um, teenagers that do either maturity, CFC, whatever. But once they're done with their studies, they hit a roadblock. There's nothing... There's nothing, they're stuck basically. Nobody um, is helping them, they're adults, so they gotta um, figure out. And that's really the, where we kick in basically. It's to do that transition from your studies to uh, finding opportunities. And that's the idea of creating that network and um, linking all those organizations, whether it's companies, states, or and, and also visually impaired people, is to give uh, visually impaired people those opportunities that are that are there, just that they don't necessarily know about it. Yeah, how to support them, give them the tools they need, and then they just they can just do yeah whatever they choose to, and not what whatever society told them they could do. Because I mean, if we're based on that, then as long as you get a disability according to society, you shouldn't do much. Especially in countries where Switzerland, where there's really a mold. And would you say that your experience um, in Canada has? has helped you to like bring fresh new ideas that you could try and implement here in Switzerland? We're in a culture where difference is super scary. So instead of asking questions and breaking the ice, huh, we just, uh, yeah, we just presume. And what's, what was truly fascinating, I think, when I got back in Switzerland is that we got people that are talking about integration. And integration, basically, it's men and women equality, LGBTQ, and people with disabilities. Already, as it is, you got at least three categories. I'm not even, even including skin colors, but you already have natural categorization uh, by society. And when they come to integration, it was fascinating when they started talking to me about yeah, diversity, inclusion, and the term that I don't even know if it exists in English, which is mixité in French. And so they explained to me that mixité was men and women equality, diversity was LGBTQ, and inclusion was people with disabilities. So basically, you got integration. You integrate three the categories of people by reinforcing the categories. That's integration. And you're like, well, that's 
quite a nice way. I mean, in mathematics, minus times minus equals positive, but I'm not really sure if it's working here. And as soon as you want to bring the, the word difference, people just freak out. It's, <laughs> it's quite nice. Uh, it's quite, it's quite well, actually, nice. No, it's quite funny, actually. And we're in fact inspiration when you think about it. You got diversity, you got inclusion. Diversity is who you are, and inclusion is what you do. And so you bring those two factors within the group, and that's integration. So there is no place for sexual orientation, gender, physical or sensorial or intellectual, mental differences. I mean, but that's something, I mean, I'm not saying that Canada is perfect, but in terms of that, they're a lot more advanced. And just because they see those things as just differences, it just a lot more advanced. Socially speaking, really, it's, it's uh, and when I got back to Geneva, it was a big blow. I mean, first interview that I got was not about what can you do? It's what can a blind dude can do? It's like, um, what are you capable of doing because you're blind? So I'm kind of, people don't know. What I like to do at the end of every every show is I ask my guests the the same same questions to get a kind of a sneak peek into the music that they like to listen or the books they like to read. Um, the first one is, what are you listening to uh, very often at the moment? At the moment, the music that oh, actually the one that I'm listening very very often is uh, uh, "We're Not Gonna Take It" by Twisted Sisters. It's like a I think it's a 80s group, rock group. I mean, that, that one's really, uh, it's a booster. It really gets you up in the morning. I love it. <laughs> the second question is, do you have uh, a song or an album that was special for you at a specific time in your life? Something you're probably fond of that you remember particularly? I don't have a particular album. What I do have, though, um, that I always loved, actually, since uh, even before I became blind, or since I'm a kid, are uh, movie soundtracks. I would say, yeah, maybe, okay, one of my favorite uh, movie soundtrack, you got Lord of the Rings, you got The Islands. Also, I love um, the music, but I got many, many of them. Gladiator is definitely one of the best. And especially since I became blind, uh, I loved them prior to that, but when I became blind, they took a whole new meaning just because they made me, yeah, they just made me dream. A lot, you know, it's uh, epic music and you just like, yeah, it makes you travel a bit in your head. And that's something that I definitely love. And the last question is, do you have a piece of music that you would absolutely recommend for our listeners? One that, that I listened to throughout McGill and, um, uh, well, actually, no, more recently was during the skiing project was uh, Whatever It Takes from uh, Imagine Dragon. I mean, this one, I still, lis uh, I still listen to that a lot. And it's... Um, Uh, it's definitely an inspiring one, I think. Cool. Thank you so much for, for sharing all these tips. And I'll make sure that I'll have them in the show notes so that uh, listeners can go back to them if they want to discover. We're now at the end of the show. And I'd really like to thank you for taking the time to join me today, for sharing your story, for being open. And I, I really hope we stay in touch because I really find that what you're doing is amazing. I would leave you the last word. Would you have something that you'd like to share before we close? I know, but just a big thank you for inviting me. And it was really, really, really nice uh, to, yeah, to have also your perspective on the different things that, uh, that I'm doing. It was uh, yeah, really, really a rich experience. So thank you so much for that. My pleasure. That was episode 20, a conversation with Thibaut Trancard. 
As I told you in my introduction, Thibaut is simply phenomenal and he is such a great source of motivation. I particularly like a quote on his website which reads, Blindness is not about not being able to see, it's about seeing further than you thought possible. If you wish to learn more about No Blink and perhaps even benefit from his offerings, just check his website at no-blink.com. You'll also find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to this new episode. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you like our show, do share it within your network and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you also sign up for our newsletter so you can stay informed about all our activities. And don't forget to follow the show on social. Check us out on Facebook at Narratives of Purpose, on Instagram at Narratives of Purpose underscore podcast, and on LinkedIn at Narratives of Purpose podcast. Join me again next week for the final episode of this special inclusion series. I will discuss empowering lives beyond disability in Africa with my next guest. Until then, take care of yourselves, stay well and stay inspired. This podcast was produced by Tom at Rustic Studios.